211 with Mitzi Purdue. And um, I'm not even going to pretend to introduce you, so how about you introduce yourself? All right. Uh, well, I am Mitzi Purdue. I'm the widow of Fred Purdue, the poultry magnate. Uh, another factor about me is that my late father was the co-founder and president of the Sheraton Hotel chain. For myself, I've spent my life in communications. I was for, oh, decades in television. And I also had a syndicated column with Scripps, with Scripps Howard. We began in 18, 1980, and there was a period when it was the most widely syndicated environmental column in the country. But one other thing that's just much more important than everything I said so far, I'm just such a complete fan of Tommy Carrigan. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I've been that. telling people um, about your most recent broadcast with the head of JPL. Wow. I mean, just, you, you have the best guests. Thank you. And, and I've been telling people, Joe Rogan, move over. You've got competition. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, a, that's the end goal. It's a, it's a long, slow process. But um, yeah, thank you. That's flattering. It's, he was definitely, he is definitely the smartest person I think I've talked to in my life. I, uh, I felt like I was looking up a mountain. He's, uh, he was running circles around me and wasn't even trying to. But he was so articulate. He put things just in such easily comprehensible ways. I mean, honest, I have been telling my friends, go and watch that. Yeah, it's, well, thank you. I will, I will relay that to him. It was, yeah, he, he really was. And it was just, he's exactly who I would imagine would be the head of JPL. It was, was not disappointed. It's the... The feeling I got from him was, it was like, oh, this is the kind of guy that makes learning fun, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I'll tell you one other reaction that you can tell him if you're so inclined. After listening to him, I was thinking, you know, I don't mind paying my taxes so much if we get things like that for it. <laughs> well, I think he would be delighted to hear that. It's yeah, it's that's that's yeah, that's another thing is, you know, you expect something like that guy's caliber of um, uh, professionality and um, expertise. You, you you look at that and you're first, at least for me, you're like, oh, that must be like head of a defense contractor, right? Like a Lockheed Martin or a Raytheon. But the first thing he says is, well, thank you very much for paying my salary. And I, was, I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, that's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. Well, I'm thing. happy to pay. In case he, he watches this, and make him do it. Okay, I'm well. happy to pay your salary. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll relay that to him. Yeah, it's, yeah and he had, he had some beautiful insights that really stuck with me today. And this is kind of off on a, on a tangent, but I'll bring it back in. Is In his book, he talks about there's like they have competing ideas of how to get to Mars. Or how to land. You have different things. Some of them are you just, you blow up a big inflatable ball around it and it lands. And you bounce. Yeah, yeah. Other ones are the sky crane. It comes in and then it lowers it. All these hyper-complex, uh, multi-staged, uh, interplanetary Rube Goldberg systems that cost billions of dollars. But in his book, he talks about, we always remind each other, everyone that's kind of at each other's throats, that we're, we're trying to go to the same place. So let's not let's not take it out against each other. And wow. yeah, yeah. And it's that that really made me think of kind of the political climate. And I'm, I'm not going to jump into politics. I do that on enough episodes. But that just kind of made me think I was like, we're all trying to go to the same place. And the same place is 
you know, the best society we can create, the safest, the healthiest, with the most opportunity. And I thought, like, we're all trying to go to the same place. Let's not, you know, defend our positions, but let's not forget, like, we're all going to this, we're trying to get to Mars, right? It's, we're trying to get to the same end goal. And like, let's not get at each other's throats infinitely, if that makes sense. But that's something that's kind of stuck with me all day. But yeah, I kind of felt I just had to say it because I didn't get time to say it to him yesterday. But yeah. Well, there's a phrase that I'm fond of, which is focus on what unites us and not what divides us. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's nothing. Nothing comes from just destruction. Like we don't we don't get anywhere, you know, digging in our heels and and just, you know, tripling down, quadrupling down it. It just, you know, we're not going to convince each other if we just push harder. It's like something's not working. But. Like I said, I do that with enough episodes, so I'm going I'm to bring it back towards the center. Um, so what I mentioned to um, Carlos the other day was I was – actually, I was listening to a Joe Rogan experience, and they were talking about human trafficking. And because I have on guests of – I mean truly all walks of life, I don't. it's not a, a, a specific thing. That just – I thought of it, and it crossed my mind. I was like, I've never thought of that. I was like, why don't I – I was like, that would be cool. You know, I have 700 subscribers now, right? It's, I was like, what if I could bring that into the spotlight? So I just kind of said that to him on the phone offhanded. And he was like, well, actually, he was like, I think I know someone that's involved. And I was like, really? Who? Could you get her on? He's like, well, yeah, she's my mom. I, and I, was, I was like, she's my mom. And I was like, and so one thing led to another. And that's where we are right now. But this seems to be something you've been doing for a long time, correct? Well, human trafficking seems to me the worst scourge on the planet. And a, a statistic that our listeners may not be familiar with, well, they might, but the top three sources of revenue for organized crime are, and they're not in this order, we're just telling the top three, are illegal arms sales, illegal drug sales, and human trafficking. And I think human trafficking is sort of itching up on second place right now. It's a $150 billion a year industry. And the reason that it flourishes, and how about that it's grown just extraordinarily in the last few years, is if you're a trafficker, and I'm going to take New York City as an example, because I heard about this from a member of the NYPD, told me that if you're a trafficker in New York City, and you've got four girls in your stable, you can have an income of a million dollars a year tax-free. And he also said, the odds of your doing jail time are just minuscule. So I got really curious, what does minuscule mean? And I, and I asked some experts in, in human trafficking and, and prosecution. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that globally, the figure is not one trafficker in a hundred is gonna do jail time. So, that's, you know, the temptation to get into it. God, I hope I'm not <laughs> persuading anybody. But if, if we're going to make a dent in it, there's got to be some more deterrent. Yeah. So, so what, I'm, what I'm about is I'm about fundraising and I'm about awareness raising. Yeah. And can you go into what is, now is it, is it one for the other? Is it fundraising for awareness or is it fundraising for um, the services fighting it directly? Okay, I have a, a unique position in, in the anti-trafficking movement. 
that's not totally unique, but it's unusual, which is I'm not doing any fundraising for the organization that I had. It's called winthisfight.org. Mm -hmm. And at some point, ask me how we got that name, because I think you'll enjoy the story. Okay. Uh, but, but to stick with the subject for the moment, what Win This Fight does, there's the fundraising arm of it. There are a lot of wealthy people who have items that are worth a lot, like in the million dollar range, that are in storage, or maybe they're tired of it. Or maybe they've got some really expensive, fabulous painting and they've got one that they like even more and they can't display the old one. I have a way of converting tangible property into cash. And I'll give a concrete example of how this works. I'm, I'm giving you a real example, real names. There's a man named Paul Hutchinson. Paul Hutchinson is very involved with the Child Liberation Foundation. And this is a group that rescues children. He owns a million dollar necklace. It's diamonds and sapphires and it belonged to Marlena Dietrich, the, the movie star from the 1930s. It's appraised at a million dollars. He said that if he takes this million dollar necklace and gives it to the Child Liberation Foundation or anybody, any organization, they're not gonna be able to sell it very effectively. They, they don't have the time, the bandwidth. They just, you know, you might get pennies on the dollar for it. So he thought, hmm, I'll go to a jewelry broker. He learned that a jewelry broker probably could get him the million dollars, but it charged 40%. Could only give $600,000. Sure. The next possibility was taking it to an auction house. Say the auction house gets a million dollars for it, which it probably could but that take between 20% and 22%. So he's got this beautiful thing that he'd like to give, but you know, the, the friction of converting it into cash is just terrible. Mm -hmm. Well, so what I've come up with is there's a, an auction house, and I, I don't really want to say their name at this point because they have offered something for this auction that they don't want everybody to know. Okay. And here's what it is. The heads, the, the management of this particular auction house, it's in New York and it's one of the largest, they hate trafficking. They are willing for the sake of a giant auction of very high value items to forego their transaction fee. So if Paul Hutchinson sells his necklace for a million dollars or if it brings a million dollars at the auction, the entire million dollars goes to the, the organization he cares about, Child Liberation Foundation. But there are other organizations. I mean, the premise of what I'm doing is that everybody who wants, who hates human trafficking, wants to do something about it, can't write a great big check, but does have an item that they could sell. I can help, I can, I almost feel that, it's not that I'm doing them a favor, but I'm solving a problem for them. I can convert with no, friction with no transaction fees their high value item into cash and then they choose where it goes cool that's beautiful okay let now if as long as you're agreeing that it's beautiful yay let me tell you what some of the items are that have been right. donated so far one of the world's largest perfect emeralds and it's historic as all get out because it was recovered from the sunken treasure ship Atocha. Now the Atocha sank in 1622 with the largest collection of 
silver, emeralds, gold that the world has ever known. It's $2 billion in, in today's money. And when that treasure ship sank and they couldn't recover it back in 1622, it meant that the king of Spain didn't have the money to pay his troops. Uh, his, his creditors withdrew and it started a downward spiral for Spain. As Spain was once the world's superpower, it never recovered from the loss of that ship. And this ultra-historic emerald was part of the cargo, and a person has donated this. Holy or cow. maybe the prize donation. And by the way, they're not all jewels. I mean, there, there are yachts, a guy's talking with me about selling a hotel in the auction. But the biggest one so far, I was in Taiwan giving talks about this, and also in, in, in Spain, sorry, I'm trying to say China and Hong Kong. But I was in Taiwan and I was invited by this elderly gentleman who invited me to his home. And on the second floor of his home, there's this amazing, almost like museum. It's about the size of a tennis court and it's filled with just super amazing items. And you know, he knew what I was there for, so I was pretty sure he was going to make a donation. And I was hoping that maybe it's a 10,000 or maybe $50,000 donation nope we here's what happened we got to talking about how human trafficking is a 150 billion dollar a year enterprise and my goal for win this fight is to raise a hundred million dollars okay he said by the time you're talking about that kind of money what happens is he thinks or he predicted was that the cartels would be interested in what i'm doing yeah. And yeah, those guys play for keeps. And this elderly gentleman says, aren't you worried that they'd, they'd try to do something to you? And they might try to kill you. What do you say about that? And then I just blurted out. I, I didn't think about it just out of out these words came. I said, I'm 78 years old. I believe in this cause. I don't care. <laughs> Well, the neatest thing happened. One of the neatest things, other than the birth of my children, this yeah. is probably the, the neatest thing that ever happened to me. This elderly gentleman, frail, got up, walked behind his chair to a wall that had a curtain, pulls the curtain aside, and I see a safe. Well, he manipulates the dials of the thing, reaches in, and brings out this red object that's almost the size of a golf ball. Okay. And it turns out to be a ruby. It's a ruby that belonged to a Qing dynasty emperor. It's probably 300 years old. Holy and he handed it to me. He gave it to me. A, a 70 carat ruby that belonged to a Chinese emperor. And on the theory that not everybody knows what a, a 70 carat ruby looks like, I'm going to hold up for, I, I assume some people are only listening to us, but for those of us who can see, I'm holding up a ring that I'm wearing. It's a family ring. It's five carats. Okay. Imagine something 10 times bigger than that. Uh, or another way of picturing it is your thumbnail, if it were round, if it were like, I don't know, like a marble, sure. that, that might be five carats. This is 
this is 69.7 carats and he gave it to me and you know, I've, I've heard people say that we may be talking 60 million dollars with that donation alone um, I'm, I'm, tr I'm it's very hard for me to not talk like a sailor and this is very <laughs> I'll go for it, I've heard you before no, no, I know how you talk no, it's, it's for me it's, and it's by just, the way, I would talk like a sailor too but my image, my image yeah, exactly. my no, son might be no, watching no, it's all, 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 all no, a sign of respect it's uh, <laughs> but I mean holy cow so, you know, and that wasn't what you were going no, to say. No, my my golly jeepers, right? It's uh, yeah. I'm trying to not mouth it, but I mean, okay. No, I I, re I respect your respect. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. It's it's, but wow. So fourteen times, fourteen times a five carat, right? I can do well, math. Well, no. Let, help me do the math. If yeah. it's sixty, or did if you just do well, the seventy? Math? Well, seventy. Sixty yeah. carats. Five five carats divided into sixty. I thought you said 69. Oh my gosh, okay. Um, okay, yeah, I think, if it, well, if it's 70, let's round it up to 70. That's 14, 14 of your rings, 14 of family rings. That's, that's insane. But I feel like, I feel like that's how you would make an impression though, right? It's because people like this are probably approached all the time. So how do you make your, you know, it's like when you're getting interviewed for a job, how, you know, what's the, what do you stick out with? And if it's, I don't care, I'm 78. Okay, that makes a splash. <laughs> well, it, you know, it was just so cool because if if I had thought about the answer, I don't think it would have had the same impact. But this was so from the heart. Yes. I could just tell that, I mean, that, uh, that it made an impression. Well, uh, how about I know it made an impression? <sighs> but I love it because, you know, what are the odds of a, a Caucasian woman coming from Salisbury, Maryland, <laughs> being in, in Taipei yeah. and this guy gives me yeah. this most amazing thing. But he did explain it a little bit. Okay. He said that his religion judges him not by what he can get, but by what he can give. And you know, he invited me there anyway because he hates trafficking. And and his where he wants the money to go is I was surprised by this, but he wants it to go to a school in India okay. because I'm not sure what his connection is, but his view is that you prevent trafficking by giving, in this case, it's a girl's school, giving them an education and giving them that traffickers prey on the vulnerable. Hmm. And if, if you, if you have a job and a way of earning a living, you're not so vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I had on back in the, the 20s episode i had on a guy from sayeret s-a-y-e-r-e-t israeli special forces oh and i'd love yeah, that yeah yeah oh, it's a cool one he had yeah he had to wear a mask because he's not under i guess israeli government says he can't reveal his identity but he did send me like documents of who point being is he talked about you know fighting hezbollah al-qaeda and he was like i was like how do you you know what do you i was like what's the way to go about this and he was like well you know the simple answer is is like you you engage them. You like you you kill them all. And he's like that's understood. No, you know I was like an idiot. I was laughing. And he goes, but really the way to go is he goes you build a school or bring in food and water. And I was like what? And he goes, some of them are radicals. And he goes and there's no helping them. But he goes some of them make a penny a day fixing shoes. They don't. They can't read. They can't write. They can barely speak. And someone comes along. Some well-moneyed guy comes along and says hey i'll give you ten thousand dollars if you fire an rpg at that u.s convoy 
and the guy is looking at it like, hey, if I die, you know, I don't have to live in, in this hell that is my life. If I survive, you know, maybe I can maybe I can get a teacher for my child so they can learn basic English. Maybe if I really play my cards right, they could be a farmer. And he's like, that's how you fight it is if you can remove that desperation. It's like what Vince Houghton, the curator of the National Spy Museum, says. He said in his book uh, about uh, the Cold War, he goes talking about crazy ideas. He goes, necessity is the mother of invention. Desperation is the drunk uncle. And it, wow, I've got, <laughs> I've got to memorize that. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. the way, I, I have a problem right now, which I didn't expect to have. Sure. But uh, can you monologue for 60 seconds why I dash into the kitchen and turn off the oven? <laughs> Absolutely. I can monologue. I, I, I can do it, no problem. <laughs> okay, time me. See if I can dash to the I kitchen. I got you. I got you. Press Press off and be right back. I got you. I'm timing you right now. Go. You're already two seconds in. Go. Four seconds in. Let's see if she can make it. Nancy Purdue. Fighting human trafficking. Like a G. Like a like a beast. It's um but yeah, that's what the and the guy that I had on, uh, he could only tell me his name, T. Well, that was his nickname or, you know, his call sign. But um that was perhaps the most surprising thing to me was you know, you expect this uh, the super, I mean, he is a Jewish guy, you know, who would hate terrorists more than a Jewish guy, let alone a, a Jewish Israeli special forces guy, right? If there could be any other, that was, that was a weird, I'm an idiot. But he was like, no, it's the desperation. What you do is you give them food, you give them water, you give them school. Now, easier said than done. Very idyllic, very romantic, you know, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, of course, let's, you know, let's ban crime. It's, um, but there's often different, yeah, you know, it's like the Soviets using that uh, nuclear bomb to put out a 1,086-day-long uh, natural gas fire. They used a bomb to um, to suck all the oxygen out of the air. And it's the least, you know, you'd think water, right? But no, it was a bomb to put out a fire. And it's the last thing you'd expect. And let's see if she... You, ten, you ran 10 seconds over, so... <laughs> but yeah, it's... um. Okay, but extra credit cooking tip for okay, everybody. Okay. I write cookbooks as a hobby. I've, I've written several. And one of the things that isn't generally known is that your nose is often a better guide than your stopwatch or okay. or All anything right. else. That when Oh, this is getting technical, but we'll That's deal with that. it. Go with it. When, when something in, is in the oven and it starts smelling really good, that means that the esters of flavor are volatilizing and it's ready. Well, I expected what I was cooking to be ready uh, an hour and a half from now. I was wrong. Okay. Yeah, it's, that was, yeah, I mean, the nose. I mean, I remember from organic chemistry, esters and I think benzene was one of them, where they're like, it smelled so great, but it was so toxic. It was like, okay, yeah, you know, all right. It's, yeah. But yeah, that organic that organic olfactory machine. But um, yeah, I don't remember where you're going with that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, school in India. It's it's often oh, and prevention. And, yes, and yes. I love the idea that that your guy. Let's see. Would you repeat? Because I really do want to memorize yeah. it. the idea that necessity is the mother, is of, the invention. mother of invention. Desperation. And desperation is, is the crazy uncle. The drunk uncle. The drunk uncle. Yeah, he calls you once a year on your birthday and says, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a present next year, but I've got an idea. Can you loan me some money? And he said, that's what happened in the Cold War, was the drunk uncle. That's why we, let's put lasers in a space. Let's, you know, it's it's it just gets crazy. But it kind of, 
you know, why else would you be a victim to trafficking? Why would you, you know, it seems so common sense to someone like me that's grown up in, you know, arguably, you know, the land of milk and honey is, well, because I've never been in such a desperate place where I would even get sucked into that, you know, it's, so if you can provide, if this guy can provide, you know, for school in India, education, doesn't matter what you're doing, it being, if you at least have access to the, the vertical ladder, you know, you, you know, and that doesn't set, that does that argument doesn't work for people who are kidnapped into trafficking, but just in general, you know, prostitution, solicitation, how do you avoid that? And you can crack down as hard as you want with laws, but sometimes the best prevention is just, you know, there's, you won't put someone in that position where that's the only way out, right? And yet, you know, the terrible thing is there's so many ways to get into being trafficked. Sure. Like one of them that, you know, some some of our listeners, once they know about it, they can maybe protect their children. But if you heard of uh, sexting blackmail? No. Here, here's what happens. A girl from a good family, and this happens, how about loads? I mean, I've met people who've been through this. Uh, the girl's, maybe she's 12, maybe she's 14. Sure. Maybe she's 16, but online she meets a guy and she doesn't know it, but he's trolling to find, you know, he's probably looking at a hundred people at the same time and just seeing what nibbles she get, he gets. But from the girls, the little girl's point of view or the young woman's point of view, here's somebody who really understands her, who takes the time to listen to her, yeah. who's sympathetic about her problems with her mom. And yeah, Pretty soon, it's just the most exciting thing in the world to come home from school and mm-hmm. and 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 talk virtually mm-hmm. uh, with this older person who understands her and gets her and cares about her. And then, maybe after a few months of grooming, where he she now feels he's her best friend in life, he says, "Send me a picture." Mm-hmm. She sends him a picture. Oh, you're so beautiful. You make me so happy. Uh, could you show me one that, uh, well, here's where it goes. He keeps asking her for more and more, sure. to show more and more of yourself. Sure. And then he asks her to um, take photographs with her blouse off, sure. then with her bra off, and pretty soon sure. he's got pictures of her completely naked. And then the dynamic changes. He says, I've got these pictures and I'm going to show them to your parents and I and all your classmates unless you meet with me at the theater or something. And the, this, sec, this, this blackmail means that maybe she'll pose for ever more explicit pictures. She gets sort of sucked down deeper and deeper into this and she's scared and she can't sleep and she can't think straight. And at some point, she leaves home and she gets trapped. And it happens loads. Or another avenue into it. And oh, I, I know a woman, she's now probably 26, but she told me when she was 16 that she came from a very religious family and she was so sheltered that the first time in her life that she was allowed to go to the mall on her own was when she was 16. And while she was there, she met this older guy. She thought maybe he was 18 or so, but he was so cool and so attractive and he liked her, she thought. And they got to talking and she gave him her address and pretty soon they're, they're corresponding and then they're meeting and she falls madly in love with him. You know, the, 
She's just never felt such love in her whole life. And everything that she ever dreamed of in life, he's offering her. He buys her presents. He takes her to grown-up restaurants. And she's just, you know, life has never been more wonderful. Here's somebody yeah. older who loves her, who gets her, who understands her. And then he begins pressing her for sex. And she says, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm you know, it betray everything that I, that I'm about. And he tells her, but you have to understand I have needs. If you love me, you do this. Um, and well, so she does. And she expects that, you know, I sh- and I'm going to use her exact words because this is what she told me. After we had sex, I thought this would seal the deal that would be together forever. And then suddenly this guy who had been texting her like 20 times a day, doesn't and, and she's she's just going out of her mind you know between fear and that you know she's gone against everything she believes in but she expected the reward would be living happily ever after and suddenly he's not answering her texts and then three or four days later when she's just in more agony than she's ever imagined in her own, whole life he texts her again and eventually she goes over to his apartment to find out you know, what's gone wrong? I'll do anything to have our relationship back again. And this uh, this is a real story that a woman told me. She, she told me, the guy says, you have to understand, I need some income if we're going to have our life together and there's some things that you've got to do. Well, she's so hooked on being in love and she's sort of looking up to him as, you know, the almost the authority figure in her life, she wants to please him. And what he wants is, you know, just this once, uh, to have sex with one of his friends. And, you know, there'll be enough money to pay the rent and it will just, and and when, when she's done it, which again is against everything she believes, one of the things that was just so important to her growing up was she felt her, her mother, her single mother never really approved of her. And, the boyfriend tells her, I'm so proud of you that you did this. Mm-hmm. It was just wonderful. And so she's got all these mixed feelings. You know, now he's loving her again and he's giving her the reassurance that she craved all her life. Uh, but she's just done something that's so against everything she believes in. I mean, she's just falling apart. And she told me that for four years, this guy, I mean, she ran away from home. This guy told her that he knew where he lived, where she lived, that he'd kill her little brother if she even tried to get away. And four years of having sex with strangers up to 12 times a night. He's getting rich. She gets nothing. He beats her up. She's terrified. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's about as horrible a life as, as I can personally imagine. It's, I mean, that is, I mean, what, what would a demon be in real life, right? Not horns and cloven feet and leather wings. It would be, it would be that. That's a demon. Yeah, but the trouble is, are you aware that there are more than 40 million people who are in slavery in the world right now? I did know that there are more slaves currently than at any time in history, percentage and yep. gross numbers. Yeah, and that statistic, by the way, comes from the International Labor Organization, which is a UN organization. 
So I'm very inclined to believe that they put a lot of research into getting that. That's. But 40 million people, that's the equivalent of every man, woman, and child in California. That's the population of California. uh, Yeah, I can't. That's that's half the total deaths of combatants and civilians in all of World War II. Oh, oh. And, and the suffering. I'm friendly with a psychiatrist. He's retired now. His name is Dr. Robert Kenko, and he was head of the Department of Psychology at New York University Medical School. I think it's Langone School. He treats not only victims, but also the victimizers. I mean, he's he was head of the Department of Psychiatry, but he also had a clinical practice. And I asked him, what's it like for a girl? And let's use a girl for the moment because there are more girls. There are there are boys and there are men, but sure. just to simplify it, let's let's say it's a girl. Sure. What's it like for, for a girl who's being trafficked? And Dr. Crank Cancro asked me, and I'm gonna ask you and and our audience to think of the following question. What's the most depressed you've ever been in your life? And categories for this are, you know, somebody you love's died of, you know, just something that was the worst depression that you've ever endured. He said in his clinical practice, for most people who come into his office for depression, there's a beginning, a middle and an end to the depression. He said for a young woman who's being trafficked, it's the worst depression you've ever known, and there's no end to it. It's just, you know, hopelessness, miserably. And that's, by the way, why, you know, suicide among tra- people being trafficked is, is so huge that between suicide, murder, overdose, and disease, the average life expectancy of a trafficked, of a sex trafficked person is seven years. That. And, and, yeah, that's those kind of statistics are why I want to spend the years that remain to me to combat this. And alas, I've mentioned the the auction that that is the basis of the organization that I had. It has to be put off because of COVID nineteen. If it weren't for COVID nineteen, we'd probably be having it of January of twenty twenty one. It's put off at least till twenty twenty. But it is sort of a ray of hope because. It will bring absolutely unimaginable attention to the to the issue because media are interested in the stories behind the gifts that are coming in. Mm. And like as an example, PBS, public broadcasting, they already have have taped and it's in the can a half hour documentary on this. Oh yeah. It would yeah, it would have aired this spring, but COVID nineteen interfered with it. But they, they tell the stories of, of some of the amazing donations that have come in. That's now how come how do we get you on Joe Rogan to talk about this? Because that's Oh, wouldn't I love that? That's I mean I bet you could get By the in way, contact uh, with them. I, I have a mild sort of contest of which um, sure. it's not a fair contest because I will lose unless a miracle breaks loose. Sure. But you've heard of Mark Victor Hansen? I have not. Uh, actually, I'm going to bet anything that you have, you just don't know him by name. Okay, okay. The Chicken Soup for the Soul guy. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. Okay, he he is the co-author of that series. 
and he sold half a billion books. Uh, he and I are co-authors of a book which is just out of reach. Can you monologue again while absolutely. I reach over? Because I want to hold up the book that Abs he and I wrote together. Absolutely. And then I'll tell you about the, the contest that he and I have. Sure. And it involves Joe Rogan. Sure. Oh, wait, did you grab it? Is that it? Oh, you want to get it? Yeah, I've oh, got okay, it. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Right here. All right, well, this we're back. This is the book that I wrote. Is it? Yeah. Are you reading it in mirror reading or is it? No, it's good. How to be up in down times. Mark Victor Hansen, Mitch Perdue. All right. Yeah. Well, we wrote it at the beginning of February to help people through the difficult times of COVID-19, but also any kind of distress that you're under. Sure. And here, here's the contest I have with Mark Victor Hansen, which, uh, you know, it's destined that I will lose unless some miracle occurs. But both of us would like to be on Joe Rogan. <laughs> I have this little guess that just maybe somebody has sold half a billion books as a more interest to Joe Rogan maybe. than Mitzi Perdue, but oh well. Maybe. I'm a good loser. Hey, maybe. Maybe. It's, but I think, I mean, I think if, I really do think if, if you tried to get on, I think you could. And I'm not just saying that because I've had on a couple guests that really blows my mind that Joe Rogan hasn't had that mod. I mean, first was Mike Durant, the, the pilot that was shot down in the, the Battle of Mogadishu at the movie Black Hawk Down is about. Yeah, I read the book. Yeah, yeah. It's he was on. I had I had him on how he hasn't been on Joe Rogan. It's beyond me. But another one is Bruce Sackman, the uh, author of Behind the Murder Curtain, who is the head special agent or it's, yeah, I think special agent in charge for the um, for the DA for medical serial killers, which is just wow. talk about demons. It's I mean, these guys, Harvard Med School, Hopkins Med School, and they have I mean, they have murder counts in the 80s and 90s. And he tracked them down. I've had him on twice. How Joe Rogan hasn't had him. So what I think it is, is I think that Joe Rogan's so big, it's easy to look at it and go, I'll never get on. But there yeah. are some people with interesting stories. Him, Mike Durant, yourself, going to get a 70-carat ruby. I mean, that is that is a story that he would, that he would I think he would absolutely embrace. I mean, I, I, I love And actually, there, yeah. there's some PSs to the story because yeah. the guy handed it to me and said, take it. But... Here I am, you know, I'm a single woman, I'm 70, I was 78 years old at the time, and just so that you don't have to wonder, I'm 79 now, because it was a year ago. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking, a single woman in Taiwan, carrying a ruby that might be worth $60 million in uh -uh. my pocket. Uh -uh. I don't think so. No, thank and you. then I got defeated by the idea of, what do you do about customs? Because I don't want to pay customs on a 60 million dollar yeah, item yeah yeah and and i don't want to lie about it because um you know, this is not good on your record to have lied to customs yeah uh so here's here's how i left it with him that ruby he, he wrote a great big document both in english and taiwanese saying that i that i own this thing and and that he would he would save it until the uh auction takes place and then I asked the auction house, how do we get this thing from from Taiwan to New York City? And they said, we do this kind of thing all the time. We have, you know, we've got all, I guess it's the equivalent of special forces people who, who like can guard it <laughs> and keep and keep the whole operation secret. Good Lord. I mean, 
if you're gonna fight child trafficking, you gotta, I guess, you gotta do that, right? You gotta, you gotta fight fire with fire. If that's the funding mechanism, you know, hey, you know, look the other way. Get some ex Delta Force guys on there and get it here, right? And by the way, I love special ops people because, to my mind, they're going to be one of the, one of the keys, to, well, I mean, there are many keys. So this, this is a. A problem it's I mean it's so huge mm-hmm. 150 billion dollars that you have to attack it from many sides but the special ops people have an advantage that the police forces for most cities most countries don't have which is the traffickers are so adept at using the black web mm-hmm. or the dark web I'm trying to say mm-hmm. and a typical police department I mean, in the biggest cities, what I'm about to say wouldn't be true, but but typical non-large metropolitan cities, they don't have the budget to hire the people who can go into the dark web and figure out algorithms and artificial intelligence mm-hmm. in one way or another just to catch the bad guys. Mm. But the special ops people do know how. Yeah. And, and I love the people who can bring to the attention of law enforcement patterns of what the bad guys are doing yeah and then the most exciting thing that i've heard for for disrupting human trafficking i've just been recently studying this and talking with some of the people involved but it's a 150 billion dollar a year enterprise as i've said four times already but when you have 150 billion dollars you have to use banks Mm -hmm. and it's just there's no way of lugging 150 billion dollars around they use banks mm-hmm. and what the international fraud group which is a, a consortium of lawyers from more than 30 countries what they get together and do is they figure out with these special ops capabilities that they have where trafficking money is going and through which banks and then when they've got pretty much a watertight case not necessarily one that would hold up in court but that would hold up in the court of public opinion. They go to, I'm gonna make up the name of the bank, the um, the Jones Bank. Okay. Okay, they go to the Jones Bank and they say, look, we can trace where all this money, where you have an account, we can trace where it comes from, it comes from human trafficking. We would like you to close that account. And if you don't, yeah. We can make this information public. Yeah. And they tell me that the, the possibility of naming and shaming means that the banks just can't close the accounts fast enough. Well, imagine if we could make it impossible for for the traffickers to, to have accounts to use money. Hmm. I mean, that almost, you, you, it's got to be physically impossible to yeah. move $150 billion around. Yeah, you get to a point where yeah, I mean, that was Pablo Escobar. He was spending $2,000 a day on rubber bands just for, he used to write off, I think, $30 million a year as losses because they'd stuff it in the walls as insulation and rats would eat it. That was just, <laughs> that was the loss. Was just, yeah. Uh, there's a, I think it's a YouTube on, on Pablo Escobar and I just devoured it. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He used to. Although yeah. now I've got a great big question for us. Okay. Why are the bad guys so, I mean, we hate them, but they fascinate us. Why can't you look away from a train wreck? 
right? Why? I guess we're wired that way. We're, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's if, exactly. if we're going to survive, we have to look at the bad stuff. You have to know it. Yeah. If we ignore that, uh, I don't know, that snake, if, if, if it's 40,000 years ago and we're in the savannas and there's something wiggly, yeah. if we don't pay attention to it, we're yes. not going to have children. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's, yeah, you can't stop, you know, what? Yeah, if a t- if you see a tiger and it eats your friend, it's the worst thing ever. But I mean, you you stare at it, and then you know it's passed on for the next thousand generations. The tiger's the monster, right? It's yeah. I think you have to. It's you know why can't you know why can't I know you know whenever I watch a documentary on it, there's something about like nine eleven that you can't look away from. You know why can't why can't why why is it that there are so many views on videos of the hundred and forty seven people that jumped to their deaths? It is the most taboo thing. You you can't imagine it, right? A thousand plus feet above a sidewalk. But it's maybe you have to maybe it has to be burned in your mind, right? It has to be burned in your mind. And it's like something caused that. And I think it's part of the you're right, wired into us where maybe it's not a snake or a tiger, but it's still it's the monster. Or maybe it's a terrorist. Well, that's what I mean. Is it's, it's Yeah, the, I mean, because I want us angry at the bad stuff that's happened. Yeah, yeah. it's very easy to. When you look at it and you can't look away, how come I can't, you know, serial killers, why can't I stop reading these books? I think it's, I think it's something, something primitive because your mind is like, I know you're terrified of it, but it's like, know your enemy. You must know them better than you know your friends, right? I think that's what it is. I think you've just answered my question to perfection. <laughs> uh, know your enemy. Yeah. Because if you don't, you'll be a victim. Yeah. Yeah, it's what uh, Robert Spaulding, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, author of the Stealth War, from the Hudson Institute. That's what he Yeah, Hudson. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I was just talking today with a woman who's on the board of Hudson. Yeah, I had him on episode one sixty one, I think. And uh, oh, by the way, yeah. uh, I told this woman who's on the board of Hudson that she had to watch you. That you had the best guests. Oh Lord, oh Lord. It's true. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's terrifying. It's move over, Joe Rogan. Move I'm over, Joe Rogan. Be Joe Rogan. I can be on, on Tommy Kerrigan. <laughs> Thank you. You can be on TPC. Yeah. One day I'll have Rogan on if he plays his cards right. But that's what that's what uh, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding said in the first pages of his book. Is he said you have to know your enemy? And he goes because they're playing a beautiful game. You can hate them, but you have to respect them. You have to know because if you just write them off as well, we're just gonna you know we're just gonna kick them in we're gonna kick them in the butt you know, G language is because that doesn't work. You have to know them. You have to respect them, and it's like what Mike Tyson says when I'm uh, before the fight. I'm I'm scared to death. I'm terrified. I've dreamed of this man beating me. I've dreamed of my family laughing at me. And as I get closer to the ring, I'm getting more and more confident. I'm scared to death. More and more confident. And then I step into the ring and I'm a god. And that's his thing. Yes, yes oh, I right? love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Mike I Tyson. Yeah, but that's what it is. You have to be scared to death, but then because that preps you, and then when you get into the arena, it's that's when you you know eye the tiger, and it's whether it's Mike Tyson, whether it's a tiger, whether it's child trafficking, Pablo Escobar, banks, money, Jones Bank, right? I think you have to know it. Yeah, and in the case of trafficking, uh, yeah, if people. If people just look away from this atrocity, mm-hmm. nothing's going to be done about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I don't look at it, it will go away, right? But it doesn't. No. It's, you know, it's like, it's like, why do, you know, it's like, it's like males as we get older, you know, it's, I don't want to go to the doctor. 
what about that mole on your back? I've always had moles, and it's like, yeah, it's getting, you know, so I'm 30. It's like, right, you know, it's fine. Then I'm 35, then I'm 40, and it's like, hey, you got to go look at it. And then finally you go, and the doctor's like, whoa, you sh you know, you need to be here 10 years ago, right? It's, it's that is, a, you know, and especially with child trafficking, you don't want to look it in the eye. It's, it can't be true, right? It can't, humans can't do that, right? That's only serial killers. That's one in a million. But then you hear a statistic, and, you know, then you see videos of soundproof vans that could have been next to you at a stoplight in a suburban home in a, or a suburban neighborhood in America, what is that? And Who's the motivation to do it is so huge because, again, to use a statistic from my NYPD friend, one more girl for that trafficker in New York is worth a quarter of a million dollars tax yeah. free each yeah. year. Yeah, it's so. So he wants to to get that girl. Yeah, and it and it helps that no one else wants to look at it. I mean, it's it's. I had him on the author Norman Oler, author of the book Blitzed. It's all about Hitler and his drugs. But he's also the author of another book called The Bohemians, which I started this morning. But I'm already citing it. He talks about his grandfather. When he was a kid talking to, and he is now in his, like, I think, 50s. But when he was a child talking to his grandfather about the war, and his grandfather never said anything about, you know, in Germany. He grew up German. Never mentioned it. You know, wasn't in the SS. No, no, no. But he finally he said, what did you do? And one day he got him to answer. And he said, I was a train engineer. And he said, I remember one day in 1939 when a train came to a stop at, you know, with a rail switch. And he said something kind of made the sixth sense go off. And he went over and he thought it was cattle, thought they were cattle cars. And they, <gasps> and, they are, and they are cattle cars. But he saw a tin cup with a string lower down, get some snow and pull it back up. Someone wants water. And he sees a kid's hand. And he goes, these are people. And he goes, these can't be prisoners of war because they invaded Poland like that day. So the war just started. And in his grandfather's words is, and I went back to the, uh, I went back to the, the engineer's room and I let the train go. And he goes, and I was terrified and I didn't want anything to do with it. The SS scared me and I just wanted to survive. And this author, Norman Holler said he hated his grandfather for it. And, you know, we all like to look back and go, I would be in the resistance. I would have killed Hitler myself. But then it's like, Okay, well, let's bring it to 2020. What is the equivalent? It's this beast lurking right beneath the water, $150 billion, $40 million trafficked. None of us want to look at it. So it's who are you? Are, are you the one that rises up against, against Hitler? Or are you the one that says, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just a train conductor. I'm a train engineer. You know? You know I follow Jordan, Jordan Peterson. Uh -huh, you, uh -huh, yeah. And one of his premises is that we got all high and mighty that we would have been part yes. of the resistance. Yes. We wouldn't have gone along with what happened in Hitler's Germany. Yeah. But he says, you almost certainly would have. Almost, that, almost certainly. That there just weren't very many heroes and you probably wouldn't have been one. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just, that's just, it's, you know, it, it, what's the saying? It is, it costs nothing to be a page. It costs nothing to be the number two Patriot. I mean, it costs nothing to join a movement. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to change my Facebook profile picture. That means nothing. What is, you know, what is a lot? It's Tank Man, Tiananmen Square. It's the guy that, you know, stands up. We all think we'd be them. Doubt it. Yeah, I personally can't bear virtue signaling. Yeah, it's, it, uh, it, yeah. It irritates me because it's so cheap. It's, it costs nothing. It costs nothing. So it's just handed out, right? It's, it's a bread basket at Olive Garden. It's nothing, right? It's... But, but I find it deeply unattractive because 
I mean, to signal unearned virtue, give me a break. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I had, I had him on the other day, the guys from Delta Force. And they're like, man. Now, they're a real hero. <laughs> yes. And they talked about it. They go, sometimes I'll see someone, you know, posted online, like, well, you know, I was in the military, so let me tell you this. And they're looking at him, they're like, I remember, you, man, I mean, you are a chef. You never. You didn't go through basic training, and hey, I've never, yeah, hey, I've never been in the military, so I can't say anything. But these guys were like, "Hey, you know, there's there's unearned virtue, right?" And um, so, so we're coming up on fifty two minutes. I don't want to keep you. I know you're a busy person. I talk to people. I'm, I keep them hostage. I'm loving this. I'm okay. loving this. Loving this. Loving this. Okay. On the other hand, uh, I am supposed to be elsewhere, and this is more important. But okay, can I? So can I? Can I wrap it up? Can I wrap it up with one question? Of course. Where did you get the name for the organization? Oh, I'm so glad you remembered. Yes, with you, I can tell this. Yes. Originally, the name of the organization was the, the Global Anti-Trafficking Auction. I got an email from a guy who's a neuroscientist. His name's Terry Wu. And by the way, Terry Wu left Red China because of Tiananmen Square. So that's his background, He's but I didn't know that at the time, and that's not totally relevant to what I'm about to share with you. Sure. He calls me up. He'd seen my website, or maybe he'd heard me on radio or something, and he said, Mitzi, your name, the Global Anti-Trafficking Auction, sucks. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and he said, he said the problem is uh, it's not memorable. And there's no call to action. And he said, I've got a better name for you. And he had actually gone to the trouble. I mean, he spent like half a day going to, I think it's registered.com mm -hmm. where you can check out what names are taken or not taken. And he said, winthisfight.org or winthisfight.com. They have not been taken. I recommend that. And I told him, yeah, that's great. There's a call to action. Mm -hmm. It's memorable, but mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to assume that you have recognized what the acronym for it, the I, initials as, are, WTF. Well, as you were saying, uh, global, yeah, I was thinking the other one, I was like, G-A-T-U, that's how I think of things. And literally right a second before you asked it, I was like, we will, I was like, win this. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> okay, well, so that was my reaction. Uh, Terry, uh, you know, you are aware what the <laughs> initials are. And he said, yes, that's the best part of it at all. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, on, on several levels, it's the perfect name mm. because uh, the correct response to, to trafficking. human trafficking is WTF. Yeah. I mean, he said, so it's, it's emotionally resonant and accurate. And the other thing is, it's it's transgressive there's something wrong with it yes and he said that's what sticks in people's minds yes so wtf yeah and by the way i mean if, if wtf.org had been available i would have gotten it after, yeah, yeah yeah after this lecture from a neuroscientist yeah <laughs> but he said no when this fight with the initials WTF, you, you know, it's made in heaven, you couldn't do better. And I bought that argument and I've learned that people do remember. So anybody who wants to know more about it, please come to 
winthisfight.org. I will I will post it in the description in the top comment. I was gonna say yeah, I've heard a. I know you gotta go. I'll wrap it up. Is um yeah, if you can make something rhyme, have a catchy acronym, or make it a uh, have alliteration, it's shown in the mind with fMRIs, functional magnetic resonance imaging, that your mind is almost um. It's like um, it's like getting like a prefab prefabricated like a desk from IKEA versus having to cut the wood yourself. You can just kind of nail it together. Your mind actually will more readily accept that information because it's like prefabricated. It's a weird. And WTF? Yeah. Well, actually, he said he said one of the really good parts of this is, uh, you know, you're a sweet elderly lady. They wouldn't. It's it's incongruent, that's, and that makes it more memorable too. That that Mitzi Perdue was talking about WTF. That's what that's what made me laugh. That wasn't a fake laugh when I realized that because <laughs> I'm speaking to you and I'm watching my language and it's you know it's Mitzi Perdue put on a put on a polo like okay and you're like WTF and I was like oh my. I was like I hope she knows what it means and then you're like and then it's, yeah it's, that, that, that's it's beautiful the best feature of it. It's beautiful. We're the entire time we're talking about rubies and emeralds and then you know taipei and then it's wtf and it's like are we ending on a good note we are ending what? on the best possible note that any note could ever have been noted that's that doesn't even make sense mitzi purdue thank you very much for coming on winthisfight.org and human trafficking thank you so much you are welcome anytime you'd like to come on you tell me and you walk on and we'll get it going well, it's just been sheer joy being with you, and thank you so much for including me. Thank you for being on. I, I, I'm tickled. Thank you. <laughs> All, right. All right, Missy, thank you so much. I'll let you go, because if not, I'll keep talking for hours and hours and hours. Well, I've, I've absolutely loved it, and I'm pretty sure that Carlos is going to see it. Yes. And, and I better get to my next appointment. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll let you go. Thank you, Missy. Thank you very much. Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll, all right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.